Good morning. Uh, our text is in Luke chapter 9. If you brought your Bible, turn there, Luke chapter 9, you can follow along uh, through the story. We're going to read the story first, and then we're going to unpack some things that I think we need to observe as it relates to where grace comes from. <clears throat> we're looking at this series called The Place of Grace. So each week we're looking at a different story in the Bible uh, where we see grace was poured out. Grace was manifest in someone's life. Today we're going to see a, a different place. Um, this is part three. We're, this is a seven-part series, and we're almost halfway through. <clears throat> so let's read through the story, chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed in a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amazing story. And it's a story that shows to us, uh, we sometimes think grace is something you give to some, some, uh, someone whose life has been wasted, someone whose life has been in ruin, uh, someone who, seems, who, who looks like the born loser with their life, they just lose one thing after another. But here I want us to see is a man who's very successful, plenty of money, climbed to the top of his field. And he met Jesus. So I want us to unpack this. The first thing in verse 1 there, it's important we, we don't miss the details because they're loaded with truth. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Get this. Jericho was not his destination. He was passing through. He was heading on. He was just passing through this place. But every now and then, something happens to get Jesus to change his mind. Every now and then, something like this happens. So, um, just remember this. Jesus is always passing through. He's always passing through. Try to anticipate where he's going to be. And that's where you want to be. 
Here's, here's the first thing I want us to see. I got six of these. I think they're six. Number one, uh, the, these are phrases or words that begin with the letter C that I pulled out of the story to kind of help us go in a direction. Number one, he was the chief tax collector. King James says he was a publican. A publican was a position uh, who was a person who had a public responsibility to collect taxes from the Jewish people to take and give them to the Roman government to pay for the occupation of their country. That would be like China invading the United States and then they tax you to give to the Chinese government so that they can pay for taking care of you. But they found an American to collect the taxes for them. You see, that's, that's the picture we've got here. Publicans were hated. They had, a, they had a job, collect taxes. And you get paid to do the job. And this guy has become the chief now, how do you become the chief? You get promoted. How do you get promoted? You do a real good job. That's what you do. Now, I don't know if chief means he was an overseer of other tax collectors or if chief means he had a, a more uh, weighty responsibility, like he would collect the taxes from the, the, the money people, the corporations, the big business. Really don't know, but Chief pretty much says he's at the top. He's getting paid really good for what he's doing. He's getting hated pretty good, too, because the people don't like him collecting their taxes. If they were giving it to God or to the synagogue, that would be a different matter. But he's taking their tax money, and he's giving it to the Romans to occupy their country. So the summary of the chief tax collector is the word ambition. You, you, don't, you don't work your way up the ladder of success by being lazy because people don't promote you if you're going to be lazy. They promote hard workers. Wherever you work, there's somebody watching you. And sooner or later, they're going to need to promote someone at your place of employment. And they're watching everybody because who they want to promote is not the lazy guy who doesn't do this job, so let's give him a bigger job to do. No, no, no. They promote the guy who's making money for him over here. And they put him over there so he'll make more money for him. Somehow he's been watched and observed and he's been promoted and he's made it all the way to the chief tax collector. Now, tax collector, publican, is synonymous with sinners. They're always talking about publicans and sinners. They put the two together. They're in the same basket. So we could say he's not just the chief tax collector. He's the chief sinner, at least in this story. He's the chief sinner. And he was wealthy. That means he's got lots of money. Now, we live in a pretty affluent society. I mean, people who are middle income, are, are, are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. I mean, we, we don't know what poverty is here in America because the government gives us money every time we get a little bit poor. The government's always got something to, 
to give out to us. That's your money, you know. He was wealthy. You see, when you have plenty of money, it makes you look blessed. Blessings come from God, you know. Blessings don't come from your employer. God sometimes blesses the employer so he can pass it on to you, but your blessings come from God. If you work hard at your job to make that paycheck, you probably don't call that a blessing. But when something comes to you that you didn't know was coming to you, now that's a blessing. And this guy has made it. He's wealthy. But having plenty of money might also mean you're greedy as well as being blessed. You see, the, the, the matter is, where do we see our source? That's where it comes from. So the chief tax collector, that's the first thing I want us to see. That's the ambition side of the story. Here, the second thing I want us to see is in verse 3. It says there was a crowd. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. There's a crowd of people. Everybody's pressing in around Jesus. Everybody's heard all kinds of good stories about Jesus. And everybody wants to have a touch from him. Because they want good things happening to them. So they, the crowd gathers where there's an expectation of Jesus is going to be in the place. Because he was short. See, here's kind of a paradox thing. He's, he's wealthy, he's the chief, and yet he's short. Where do we get the concept of short anyway? It's a comparison, right? Shorter than what? Shorter than who? What's the normal standard? That's a good question. Did you know that the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, to be president, you got to be a pretty big guy. He was only four foot four inches. I'm sorry, five feet. Five feet four inches tall. That's pretty short. Andrew Carnegie, the big wealthy guy, the big industrialist, he was only five foot two inches. That's pretty short. The first human being in space was a Russian by the name of Yuri Gagarin. He was also five foot two inches tall. The great musician, composer Ludwig. Von Beethoven was five foot three inches. Just a short guy. The great comedian Mel Brooks was five foot four inches. Big short people. What does short mean? It's a relevant term. It has nothing to do with your intellect, has nothing to do with your appearance except for stature. This guy was short. Stop it. And because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. You see, everybody else is taller than him. I I don't think the issue was really so much his height, because he had nothing to do with his height. 
You know, it was your mom and dad that dictated how tall you were going to be when you were born. It's genetics. But he couldn't see over the crowd. But he wanted to see. Pressed in. Maybe if, maybe if I come over here, I can see. Maybe I can see. Maybe if I get over here, I can see. But he's short. Can't make it. Shortness is a limitation, and it's in your head. It's in your mind. Some people see themselves as poor, and they will always be poor because they don't take the action steps that help them succeed. Let's go to the next one. Maybe I should say this before we go on, just in case you weren't paying attention. There are limitations that you might have in your life that's in your head. You're not good looking enough. You're not old enough. Or you're too old. God can't use somebody like you. And we see these mental limitations that are not reality. I just gave you an example of big people who were really short because they didn't see shortness as a limitation. Don't see your limitations as limitations. There's nothing that our God can't do. Okay, here's the third thing in verse 4. It says, Jesus was coming that way. He knew Jesus was coming that way. How do you know that? Everybody's talking about it. Have you heard people talk about Jesus? I have. Not everybody wants to talk about Jesus. But the ones that do, I want to hear what they got to say. Because Jesus has been around for a couple centuries. And every century... He's touching people's lives. The world is changed because Jesus passed through. I don't want to miss it. He's coming that way, verse 4. This is anticipation. He's anticipating something. How do you anticipate something? Sometimes you get a mental picture. You think about it. Sometimes I say to myself when I'm preparing my message, I say, now... If the Holy Spirit anointed the words that I'm saying, when I, when I tell that story, when I read that scripture, if the Holy Spirit is anointing that, what would that look like? And I picture in my mind people getting excited. I picture in my mind people coming under conviction, people deciding to change their mind. I picture it in my mind. That helps me tell the story a little bit better because I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to anoint that. I'm not talking about me. I'm trying to inspire you. He'll do the same thing with you if you picture it in your mind. Anticipation. He, Zacchaeus, it says in verse 4, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But he's too short. Everybody else is standing between him and Jesus. And no matter where he maneuvers himself, he can't quite get up there where he can see. But he really wants he is seeking. He's trying to find a way. How can I connect? How can I get a little closer? How can I 
make this connection with Jesus. You see, he wanted to see him, he wanted to see Jesus physically. He wants to see Jesus' physical body. That's what he wants to see. If, if he realized that Jesus is there, I can't see him, but he's really there, that's all he needs because God can still touch his life. But no, he wants to see what he looks like. He wants a better look. He wants to see who he was. That's more important than seeing what he looks like. He wants to see who he was. So he ran ahead. That's what we call a strategy. If you want to see Jesus, put a strategy together. Put a plan together. How am I going to do this? Where do I anticipate Jesus being? Where is he passing through and I need to be there? Maybe you need to be at a prayer meeting. Maybe you need to get involved in a small group Bible study someplace. Maybe you need to do something beyond what you're doing right now if you want to see Jesus and who he was. Since Jesus was coming that way. Do you know where Jesus is coming? He is coming back again, you know. And in the meantime, he sits at the right hand of the Father praying. But we talk about Jesus being here. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Spirit of Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father praying, but his Spirit is down here passing through. So the stories we read in the Bible are supposed to be teaching us about our connections with God and how we can press in and get connected to God. So you can anticipate what Jesus will do because it's the spirit of Jesus. And guess what? His spirit lives inside of me. If you're a Christian, that spirit lives inside of you. He will influence you. And sometimes he'll tell you, it's time to run. So Zacchaeus, not knowing what was happening, just knowing of his own curiosity, runs ahead, gets ahead of everybody else. He can see where he can see the path Jesus is going. I mean, if you look back, you can see the trajectory of the path of Jesus and what his spirit is doing. So get ahead, you can see the trajectory, so he gets ahead of everybody else and he climbs up in a tree. Now, if you climb up in a tree, you're higher than everybody else. Are you seeing what's happening here? He's got a strategy. He's got a plan. So he climbs up this tree to be higher than anyone else. That's also in verse 4. And it's the fourth C word. He climbed up higher. There's times you and I need to climb up a little higher. The world is doing that all the time. That's what ambition is in the world. We're always climbing up, climbing up the ladder of success. How do we climb up? How do people climb up higher? Different ways. Some people want to get more famous. Hollywood is full of people who want to get more famous. Another way to climb up higher would be making more money. 
Americans are famous around the world for making more money. It's all about money. Here's another way. Accumulating more stuff. Some of us are chief at that. We're really good at accumulating more stuff. Some ways you could say that's to be the top dog, to get the upper hand, gain the high ground, be at the top of the pecking order. There's all kinds of ways we say that, but we're talking about somebody climbing up higher than somebody else. Zacchaeus climbs up. He's a chief. He's wealthy, but that's not enough. He's looking for something more. There's something more. It's, it's Jesus. Amen. So he climbs up this tree, up, up, up. And that's where he found grace, where he didn't deserve it. It was up in the tree. Jesus gets there. This is verse 5. And he looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I think the Bible is hilarious. I can just see the sense of humor in that. Zacchaeus thought the only way he could get a good look at Jesus is to get up in a tree, get up higher than anybody else, accomplish more, be, be at a higher place than anyone else comparatively. And Jesus tells him to come down. If you're a person who's built your life on climbing up the ladder of success, Jesus has some words for you. Come down. Get off your high horse. Stop thinking you're so much. Come down from that tree. The only way to have Jesus lift you up is to get down. Think about that in your own life. And the word for come down is submission. Amen. You got to submit. Quit trying to be chief of everything and everybody and come down immediately. Come down right now. For I got to come to your house today. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was passing through town. He's going to go to this guy's house? Something Zacchaeus did touched Jesus' heart and made him change his mind. Do you know there's some things that you can do to touch his heart? To make the Lord want to change his mind? I want to discover what those things are. I want to step into that. I want the Lord to come to my house because if he's coming to my house, that means there's blessings going to come to my place. It's important. Come down immediately for I must stay at your house today. Something changed Jesus' mind. A couple notes here in the story. Well, since we're at this place, I, I want to point out note number one. Note that Jesus identified with this sinner, with this publican. I'm coming to your house. You think this guy's house doesn't have a reputation? 
You don't think everybody in town is talking about this publican, this tax collector, chief tax collector, this guy that thinks he's so much better than us? And Jesus is going to his house? If Jesus was trying to be popular with the culture, he would have never done that. Because this is going to get him in trouble with the culture. The second thing I want us to see is worldly-minded people criticize Jesus for doing that very thing. We're, we're looking at the place of grace, this series of grace stories where God shows this amazing grace into people's lives in different situations. And he's at it again, singling out this social reject, very successful social reject, but he singles him out and says, I'm going to your house. And worldly-minded people rejected it. They don't understand grace. And I, I hope I'm not speaking to worldly-minded people today because they go to church. But they don't want, they're not interested in a religion that cares about the lost. They care about people like us. We come together in church and we are, we, we fit, we're good people. We want to keep the church full of good people. But Jesus is interested in people like Zacchaeus. Amen. You see that? So how would we deal with Zacchaeus if he came walking in the door right now? Would we turn and look the other way? So it wouldn't look like we were rejecting them, but we looked the other way anyway. What would we do? How would we deal with that? How would we deal with grace toward the drug addict, toward the sex addict? How do we deal with people since we know that Jesus wants to give them grace? How do we do that? Submission to the call of God. Okay, I got one more of these. In verses 6 through 10, there was a change. And that's the conversion. This guy says, if I have, I'm going to give half of everything I've got, half of all my wealth, I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back more than what I took. Wow. Something's happened to this guy's heart. You see this? He has never thought about anybody else before. Only thought about himself and how he's going to get ahead. And when Jesus hears him say out of his mouth in front of the other people that are there... In front of the Pharisees' peers, who do you think he invited to his home along with Jesus? His social group. There's a bunch of scoundrels in there. And he makes a public statement. I'm going to take half everything I got. He says, see, look, Lord, watch me do this. I'm going to give half of it away to the poor. Now, for the first time in his life, he's thinking about somebody else. He's thinking about investing in somebody else. That's the way God thinks, you know. 
He just got a taste of how God thinks and has changed his life. And that's the C word. It's not in the text. I had to, I had to make the word up. Change. The man has changed. That's called conversion. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. How does Jesus know that? You, you, you can't evaluate someone's faith based on what they tell you. You have to watch their life. Look at their life. Because the real test is under pressure. He's thinking about others. He's thinking about fairness. He's thinking about the right thing. For the first time, he begins to act like a missionary, thinking about other people. Missionaries are always out there for the other people, the others. Jesus is interested in a church full of missionaries on a mission. And the mission is to seek and to save the lost. That's our mission. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Interesting. Interesting spin on the story. This wasn't a parable. Jesus wasn't giving us a story. This actually happened. But then Jesus concludes the whole thing with that statement, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Interesting twist because the whole story started with Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. Zacchaeus is going to search party. How can I get to see Jesus? I've somehow got to find Jesus. He's seeking Jesus. And the whole time, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. See that interesting twist in the story? The story is recorded basically because of what Jesus said at the end. Because for the statement at the end, he came to seek and to save the lost. For that to make any sense, you got to unpack the whole story of Zacchaeus. Did you know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? So if you're the lost one, you're his target. And when he sees a lost one responding to him that's what makes him stop and change his mind come down from that high place because I want to come to your house for Jesus to come to his house is stepping down and Jesus is saying I'm going to show you how to step down honorably Zacchaeus you come down and I'll come down to your house and everything changed for Zacchaeus' life and if you and I will come down from our high place trying to get everybody else to think how cool we are, everybody else to think how, how great we are as people, if we'll come down, we'll humble ourselves, Jesus will come down and touch our life. That's what I want to happen in my life. This is why God is always at work breaking us. I don't like to be broken. I want Jesus to build me up. But he's always trying to break me. Break my pride. Break my stubbornness. Break my self-esteem so that he can put his self-esteem inside of me. He doesn't just do it for me. He does it for you. 
He's at work in all our lives. I give God all the glory for the changes he's brought in my life. Because I'm, what you see of me today isn't what I used to be. I hope you're not what you used to be. Because if you still are what you used to be, fasten your safety belt because Jesus is just about to break you. Open your heart. We're going to sing a song here. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a closing song. And maybe you have some things you want to say to God. This altar is going to be open. Feel free as we sing about it to come to this altar and have your conversation with God. He wants to make you new.